The reading is from John 8, 1 to 11. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared, appeared again in the temple court, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Not what do you say? They, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stood down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Good morning, everybody. Can you hear me, Doreen? You can, good. Uh, It's really good to hear that God's doing work in children's and young adults' lives. Um, Without the young adults and the children's in the church, the church eventually dies, because all of us eventually, I mean, even Herb, you'll agree with me, get old. It happens, and gradually people go away and go to heaven if they're saved. Um, so it's really good to hear that people are being saved and that our youth are actually active in the work of God. And it's sad to say that sometimes they actually put the rest of us to shame. But we thank Jesus and we thank God for all that they've done for us, for what he's done for us and for all that he's doing in their lives. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you, Lord, that we can come to your house, Lord, Thank you, Lord, that we can have a good time celebrating your life, Lord, with the children, Lord, and with the young people, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you're always there, Lord, that you're always beside us, Lord. You're our friend, our saviour, and our Lord, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for that, Lord. We pray now also, Lord, for our pastor at this time, wherever he is preaching, Lord, that you will be with him, Lord, that you will bless the people that he's talking to as well, Lord, and that you will keep him safe, Lord, fill him with your Holy Spirit, Lord, and give him the strength that he needs, Lord. We pray also for the people that can't be here today for whatever reason, Lord, that you will bless them and be with them, Lord, that you will sort out their problems, Lord, or give them rest, Lord, that you will answer their problems, Lord, according to your riches and glory, Lord. Now now I pray for those of us that are here, Lord, that you will open our ears, our eyes, our hearts and our minds to your understanding, Lord, that you will teach us from your word, Lord, and that we learn something new from you today. For Jesus' sake, amen. Now, I really don't know what I'm doing standing here this morning because everything that's been said should be more than enough for you all to have learnt something new about Christ. But I'll carry on regardless. Okay, so there's three groups of people, as Laura said in this. There's the convicted, the critics, and there's Christ. The story itself... The woman on this passage has been caught in the act of adultery. She was dragged in front of a large crowd of people. 
She knew that the punishment for her sin was death by stoning. Although she was surrounded by people, she was alone and afraid. Even the man who she had been with had deserted her in her greatest time of need. There she stood in front of the man they called teacher. She knew she was guilty and all she could do was stay quiet, hang her head in shame and await her fate. The teachers of the law, who from now on we'll call scribes, and the Pharisees were constantly looking for ways to trap and accuse the teacher. And this day was no different. They had found the woman who had been caught in the act. They dragged her into the temple courts and interrupting Jesus while he was teaching the people, placed the very frightened woman in front of him. They accused the woman and stated the law of Moses that she should be stoned to death. Then they asked Jesus what he had to say about the matter. When the scribes and Pharisees asked him what he had to say, Jesus stooped down and began to write on the ground. But the scribes and Pharisees were insistent. They demanded an answer. Jesus stood up and said to them, Let any one of you that is without sin be the first to throw her stone at her. And again he stooped, and again he began to write on the ground. The scribes and the Pharisees were now in a great dilemma. Their sin had been exposed. They were guilty as the woman. The woman and the scribes and Pharisees had come to a place in their lives where they needed to make a decision. They were all standing before Jesus, the only person who could help them. Scribes and Pharisees, however, decided to cut and run. Maybe they thought they had too much to lose, but they lost out on a great offer that day. They missed out on God's greatest gift, the thing they needed most, grace. The woman, however, stood her ground. Jesus stood up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? The woman replies, no one, sir. I prefer the version in um, the authorised King James because the woman actually says in there, no one, Lord. And that showed that there was a great sign of faith and respect that the woman had for the man they called teacher. And then Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. She did not make excuses for herself. She knew that she was guilty and needed help. She recognised that Jesus was the one person who could help her. She had a great need for God's grace and she accepted it with open arms. Everybody on earth has the same problem as this woman. We are all guilty before God. We have all sinned and deserve to die for our sins. If there was a place for us to, be, to bargain with God for our lives, we would have nothing to bring. Just like the women in the temple courts, all we could truthfully do is to remain respectfully silent and wait for God's punishment. But God, not willing that any should perish, provided a way. Um, testimony is always a very important part of any kind of witness. And 
the first person I'd like to call today to give a testimony, don't worry, it's nobody here, is Augustus M. Top Lady. He penned a hymn about his experience with God's grace, and I'd like to read it to you. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy riven side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. Not the labours of my hands can fulfil thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Saviour, or I die. While I draw my fleeting breath, when my eyelids close in death, when I soar to the world's unknown, see thee on thy judgment throne, rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. So for anyone who doesn't know, the rock of ages is Jesus his side was indeed cleft and outpoured water and blood. And that water and blood, if we accept Christ, is the thing that cures us, that cures us from our sins. There's nothing we can bring to actually make the Lord happy. There's nothing that we can do to cure ourselves from our sin. It's only God that can do things for us. And the last verse is especially special. When we see God on his judgment throne, then, if we have accepted Jesus Christ, we can hide in his side and he will stand up for us and say, this is one of mine. So, what is grace? Grace is the most important concept in the Bible. It means unmerited favour, or perhaps better described, as an act of kindness we do not deserve. Laura pointed out to us this morning that it's a good anagram, God's riches at Christ's expense. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 10 put it like this. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his great grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. When do we need God's gift of grace? The only answer I can give to that is 
all the time. We have our first experience with God's grace when we admit that we have sinned and ask God for forgiveness. The realization that our sins have been forgiven, that we have been saved from the wages of sin, that Jesus was prepared to lose his life to save us from our sins, the knowledge that God really does love us in spite of who we are, puts me at least into emotional overload. Words fail me, and at this point I'd like to bring my second testimony, a man called John Newton. John Newton started off well in life. He was with his mother, and his mother taught him about God. But unfortunately, his mother died at a very young age, and he ended up going off to sea. And being a sailor, from what I can work out, is not the best place to be if you want to follow God. John Newton failed terribly at what his mother had taught him. But in the end, God put people in his path that would show him the way to go. And he wrote a hymn. And I'd like to read that one to you as well. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. When we've been there ten thousand years, bright, shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. He had a great testimony, did John Newton. And he'd been through all the dangers, toils and snares that it was possible for a man to go through. And in the end, he found God's grace. But we must not leave God's grace there. We must keep coming back to Jesus' feet. Sorry, we must keep coming back to Jesus' feet to remind us where we came from, to relive the experience, so that we keep it fresh in our minds, so that we can share the truth of God's grace with those that do not know it. God's grace also helps us to develop in our daily walk with Him. Remember, we can do nothing without Him. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, but, the grace of, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So if the Apostle Paul also needed grace, And he did need grace because he'd been a bad man before he was called by Christ. He was going around helping, finding Christians and getting them stoned to death. So he really did need grace and he knew what God's grace was all about. Grace also helps us in times of temptation and suffering. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 tells us, Therefore, Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one 
who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. If God can forgive our sins unconditionally, should we not also freely forgive others, no matter what they have done to us? Grace is essential essential to the spiritual life, yet we don't control the supply. We need to stay connected to the source in order to receive an abundant supply. He gives us the strength to carry on when we think that we can't, and he gives us the strength and grace to be gracious to others. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. May we be the same with ourselves and with those in our lives. Extending grace to others is a clear demonstration of God's work in our lives. God is so lavish. I love that word, lavish. God is so lavish in extending his grace towards us. And my final witness is a man much closer to the land of Wales. It's a guy called Tom Jones, but he's not the one that was born in Treforest. He was a Welsh missionary to India and he wrote the following. Grace of God the Father, grace of God the Son, grace of God the Spirit, blessed three in one, came in all its beauty, light and life to bring. Chase away the shadows, make sad hearts to sing. Where sin is abounding, grace aboundeth more. Precious is the message, boundless is the store. Never be discouraged, grace is flowing three. Higher than the heavens, deeper than the sea. Now, this grace is kindly offered every soul. Come with all your burdens, grace will make you whole. Him that cometh to me, I will not cast out, but will love him freely. Come and do not doubt. Grace, grace, wondrous gift of God to all the human race. Grace, grace, bountiful and free, found in every place. Grace, grace, beautiful and sweet, would all mankind embrace. Grace, grace, everyone may taste. God's great gift of grace. So all that's left to say is, What are you going to do with the gift of God's grace today? It's important how you came into church this morning, but it's far more important how you decide to go out. Thank you very much.